Welcome to the Woman's Own Book Club Guest Author of the Month. A Suitcase of Memories by Cape Town-based author Aisha Kasim is a gentle story about a not-so-gentle aspect of South African history, race classification. Aisha uses the concept of memory as a framing device, questioning how memory shapes identity. Through her story of Bastian Briedenkamp trying to make sense of who he is, Aisha makes us wonder at how we as a collective nation make a habit of burying memories and only holding them out under very special circumstances. I am Theresa Smith of Woman's Own, and I asked Aisha, where did the story come from? So Suitcase of Memory was, was really a, a combination of all of these things. Um, a lot of the book is my own childhood memory as well. You know, stories that I inherited from the generations who came before, um, mysticism, traditions, customs, superstitions in some cases. Um, but it does also uh, lean on a bit of... Uh, the various things that you experience as a journalist as well, you know, the various strangers that you end up meeting and, and the people that you get to know. Um, and so when I think of Suitcase of Memory in every way, it is all the different aspects of me in, in one place. Right at the end of the book, you actually place a real court interview excerpt, um, which brings home this idea that what you describe in the story is not as far-fetched as an outsider might actually believe. Stranger and sadder stories have played out in South African courts at the height of apartheid. So why choose such a matter-of-fact way of writing and rhythm when, in a way, this the story is like, wow, out there surreal? I'm glad you used that word surreal, you know, because I think that's exactly what we sometimes forget our history was. You know, when you talk about South African history, I think people in some cases have almost become desensitized to it. You know, we use this word apartheid. We sweep it under the rug almost. You know, we, we don't fully always even acknowledge what that meant for people, you know, in their everyday lives. And so at the back of the book, there is this actual extract. And while I was writing the book, especially the, the court scene part of the book, um, you know, I, I kept thinking, you know, people are going to think this is such a bizarre argument, you know. And at the end of it, I thought, you know, actually, it is a bizarre argument because it was a bizarre time. <laughs> you know, it was just a completely bizarre time. And when I used that, that extract at the end, which is a factual one, I think it's even more bizarre than the trial that takes place in the book because the kinds of questions that you'll see in that extract at the end of the book are just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, in terms of classifying someone's race based on their breakfast or the bed that they slept on. We lived in a bizarre time as a country. And I think sometimes we just really forget the nuances of what that means. So the story is told from the main character's point of view, and he looks back in time. So there is a certain amount of chronological back and forth, but for the most part, the story unfolds in a very linear fashion. But now when it comes to the making of the story, did it all come to you in one go, or was there a lot of rewriting in the process before you ended up with what I read when I read the book? So Suitcase of Memory is very much two stories in one, you know, which is what you're alluding to. You know, so on the one hand, you have Bastian talking about how he died. And then at the same time, he's also telling the story of how he lived, you know, and so the two, his life and his death run concurrently 
but it's it's funny when you say you know did it come to you all at once you know because writing and I think creativity is such a strange thing sometimes you know you can't always understand how it works there's not always a sense of logic but in terms of writing his life and his death I I wrote it all in in one go Um, I didn't write his life first and then go back to do his death scenes Um, because for me it was really important to get Bastian's death and life to run together in each of the chapters, you know, his death almost means something in that chapter in relation to what he's about to talk about in terms of his life. Um, And so keeping that close parallel match between his death and his life and each of the characters had to almost be written in the same time. So um, yeah, I I wrote it in in one go. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it, but. (laughs) It's almost that concept of our mortality, the fact that we know that we are going to die gives yes. much more meaning to your life. So his ultimate death really teaches in them what his life was. Precisely that. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad you summed it up that way because that is was exactly the intention. You know, it sounds morbid sometimes, but I, it's the way I imagine it in real life, you know, that our deaths run parallel to our lives. Um, and so for Bastian, it seemed like the inevitable thing to do in the book as well. Where did these characters come from? I mean, if your mom and sisters read this, are they going to see bits of themselves in the characters? Well, I hope not, because <laughs> then I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do. That being said, so um, let me say outright that the characters are very much a figment of my imagination. You know, however, to a certain extent, I, I, I do also borrow some character traits here or there, um, but that's mostly to honor people or as a, as a homage in a way. So, for example, there's a character in this book who is a champion pigeon racer and who has a bird loft in his back yard and my grandfather was a champion pigeon racer and had a bird loft in his backyard and it was a tribute to him in in a way by having a character who who had that backstory I mean nothing at all about the character is my grandfather it's just that one element that I wanted to immortalize in some way as a tribute to him. Um, same like a place like Bokmakiri, which is in the book, you know, it's a tribute to my mother who grew up in Bokmakiri. There are those tiny little nuggets along the way in the story that no one would really know, um, unless of course they knew me really well, or they were family to be able to say, oh, Bokmakiri is in this book, or, you know, oh, there's a bird loft, you know, but beyond that, that, you know, it, it's really just those those little tiny tributes in a way. So speaking of Bokmakiri, um, the places did seem very familiar to me, like when you described the high court. And I know you certainly spent enough time there. But what about the other places you described? Were these um, spaces that you are intimately involved with or places that you've actually been to? So I like to think of Cape Town as being a character in the book, you know, because it's got all these different moods and, you know, the Cape Doctor is described in in the book as well. And so Cape Town is my city, you know, it's my hometown. I I like to think that I know it really well. Um, But that being said, I, I did revisit the city a few times, but not as Aisha Kasim. You know, I walk the streets with the eyes of Bastian or with the eyes of Rashida or with the eyes of Hendel Hobler, you know, to kind of see what they were likely to see during a different time period. Because, you know, that of course is one of the, the biggest problems about this book was that I didn't live 
in the time that the book is set. But walking through the streets as, you know, Bastian Breedenkamp or walking through the streets with his eyes, you know, it allowed me to, to get a sense of what he was likely to see and to kind of almost edit out some of the things that were not likely to be there at that time. But some of the places are very familiar to me, like St. George's Cathedral, um, which for me is one of the most beautiful places we have in the city. You know, it's a place that I would frequent quite often. And people sometimes say, oh, but you're a Muslim. What are you doing in St. George's Cathedral? <laughs> you know, But honestly, um, you know, there's a lot of description of similarity in the book as well about Christianity and, and Islam in the book. And, you know, Bastian's description of how the inside of St. George's Cathedral is so similar in some ways to that feeling you get in all places of worship is something that for me, you know, is quite personal because, you know, I used to work in the newsroom right opposite St. George's Cathedral. And when I needed to have just five minutes away from it, St. George's Cathedral was the place I would sit and go without question to find that peace. And so, yeah, so St. George's Cathedral was one of the places. Also, Company's Gardens was a place that I'm very familiar with. But again, you know, I, I went back to it and walked it as if I were Hendrik Robler. So the main character is really trying to make sense of his identity which in South African terms is very much bound up in our racial identity, even more so than our religious identity. Even though in your book, religious rights do play a very important role in the framing of the story. So now the story suggests to me, you've explored the religious lens much more um, and you certainly place a greater emphasis on it in, in the story. And someone in the book does mention that idea that Islam and uh, Christianity and Judaism, for that matter, are all religions that are of the book. They have stories, and that's the memory of who we are written down in our book. So what for you is the role of books in the shaping of our core identity of who South Africans are going forward? Books like what you've done and other books that people are writing about what was and what is. Are we telling enough start stories? Um, are, we, are we telling the right stories? Are, are there enough stories? Are we remembering everybody? Or is it just like there's too many bits to remember? Just, you know, where does story come into it for you? Yeah, that's a really great question, Teresa. I was really glad that you asked that question as well, you know, because representation is something that's so unbelievably close to my heart, you know, as it should be for everyone, regardless of your race. And so, Representation in books, I think, is something that is so sorely needed, you know, still, and perhaps particularly in, in South African fiction. You know, so I grew up, uh, like you, I think, in apartheid, um, and I've been reading my whole life. And, you know, when I think about the books that I read growing up, you know, it, it was almost always the stories of Cathy's, the Cathy's and Marks of the world, you know, those were the stories that I grew up reading. And it's something that, you know, the, the Nigerian writer Chimamanda Adichie talks about so, so excellently in her TED talk, which is that the danger of the single story. And if you haven't seen this TED talk, you really have to watch it because it's so excellent. You know, where she talks about how there's only ever this single narrative and the danger of only ever seeing the same story, the same perspective over and over again. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 20 when somebody gave me a book that was written by an Indian author. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever read a story where the characters had names that I was familiar with, you know, names of people that I knew, you know, where the themes were so incredibly personal to me, you know, and while I don't think you have to, you know, read a book about you in order for it to resonate with you. There is something unbelievably special and profound when you do read a book that is about you. 
And that's something special, you know, and I think that's quite a special power that that books have, you know, it can say to someone, say to a community that, hey, your story matters, you know, your history, your traditions, who you are is also part of who we are as South Africans, who we are as Cape Townians. And that is something that is is, is really, really important, um, you know, and so I, I, I wrote this book for my daughter, especially because, you know, I didn't want her to, to live her whole life searching for herself in South African literature. You know, I do think that we still spend a lot of time recycling the same narratives, the same perspectives, the same viewpoints, you know, and so honestly, I think we constantly need to be interrogating whose story we're telling. So the title, A Suitcase of Memory, it's something you take out and you look at and, and you remember and then you put it away. And that's what you do with a suitcase. And we can say the same thing about books. But the thing about memory is that it isn't really as fixed as we'd, we'd want it to be. Things happen, we sort it away in our brains. But the further we get away from it, the more hazy it can become. And it's only if we're constantly taking that memory out and mulling it over and telling stories about what happened that it becomes quite fixed. But the book, that fixes the description and the person in a very concrete way. So why this story about memory, which is not fixed the way a book is? Okay, so there's two things there. The first one is I'm going to have to challenge you on, on one of your views in your question. <laughs> um, so I know you say, you know, that the characters or the descriptions of people are, are very fixed, but I would like to make the case that, you know, for me, the characters in Suitcase of Memory are a conversation starter. Um, I would like to think of them as being open to interpretation, you know, where people can look at them and go, hmm, why did Bastian do that? You know, is that a good thing to have done? Was that a bad thing? You know, I was quite deliberate in, in how I, I portrayed the characters. I don't like this idea of a good guy, bad guy, villain, you know, who only does bad things, the good guy who only does good things. You know, I think if you were to look at each of these characters, you could probably find something that you like and don't like about each of them. Um, and that's very much the way that I, I view my characters and people, for that matter, you know, that they are gradients of good and bad, not just good or bad. And so that's the first thing I, I, I would like to think the characters are, are, are open to different perspectives and, and to interpretation. The second thing is, so why a story about memory? So memory for me is something that is quite fascinating because you have individual memory, you have collective memory, you have selective memory, but memory is also what history is, right? It's our memory. And so all of those things that blend together for me are, are quite a fascinating thing because memory is something that we inherit as well. Um, and it's also what we use to interpret who we are and how we view others. And so it was always going to be a really fascinating complication, if you will, to try and see how all of those things blend together in how we understand our past and our place in it. So I understand you being a reporter who constantly would write down what people say and what happened. And then that meant setting it down on paper concretely, have an influence on you as an author or, you know, were you always going to be an author who wrote a book? Um, so I, I think that the, the thing about being a journalist, you know, more than the writing is that it really teaches you how to observe people. And I think that for me is like one of the best things about being a journalist, you know, is 
that you don't is that you end up noticing things that a lot of people disregard and it's not just you know what people say it's what they don't say you know it's the way they say things it's the mannerisms you know it's the quirk sometimes you know you you pick up on the the atmosphere of a of a place um and so all of those things together i think you know um that's really what I think the skill is, you know, is that you're able to see through people in a way that most people can't or, or don't know or haven't, you know, been able to learn that skill. Um, so more than the writing, it's definitely observation. But in terms of, of this book, yes. So I was always going to write this book. Um, that was always the intention. I just didn't know when. And I always felt that you need to kind of live a little bit, I think, before you have something to say. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure if I'm, if I'm <laughs> portraying that correctly. Um, it's not to say that you can't be a 20-year-old, you know, protege writing a bestseller or something. But I do think that if you, you want to impart some kind of perspective on something, you need to have experienced a little bit of, of life, I think. And so I was I was really waiting for the right time where I felt that I was the writer I wanted to be in order to tell this story in this way. So are you going to write more? <laughs> I'm actually writing the, the second novel um, as we speak at the moment. Um, I'm halfway through it right now. Um, it's a very slow and painful process, uh, much like the first. <laughs> um, it is very different to, to Suitcase of Memory, but it does build on some of the themes that Suitcase of Memory explores. And so it's, it's something that I'm doing at the moment and finding it quite hard going. So maybe I'll, I'll regret it in the end. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it would be great to be able to invite you into the Women's Own Space one day and come and show off your books and come and talk about them when we do book club. I would be delighted. I'm, I'm dying to talk to book clubs. I mean, all I want to do is talk about the spoilers and I can never talk about it in, you know, these public interviews. So, you know, the spoilers for me are what the book really is about. And, you know, I can never really get into them. So book clubs, invite me, please. <laughs>